In today's fast-paced world, your business deserves banking solutions that are as dynamic and cost-effective as you are. Solutions like free business checking from LGE Community Credit Union, free online and mobile banking, no minimum balance required, plus no maintenance fees and dividends on your balance. At LGE, we're a smarter way to bank. See what's possible for your business at lgeccu.org. No monthly maintenance fees. Other service fees such as NSF, overdraft, wire, and stop payment fees still apply. Not all businesses will qualify. Membership eligibility and base savings account that keeps a $5 minimum balance required. All supreme all year long. Now more college football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Hour two of the Chuck Oliver Show on this Monday. If we get in the DeLorean and go back about three years, I'm reading just like not provocative, not pots and pans being banged together. Like NFL.com, WalterFootball.com, like for the NFL draft, like very mainstream, CBSSports.com. Mainstream, just regular sort of draft previews and insider, et cetera. I'm reading from January and February about Mac Jones. Fourth round. Shorter A.J. McCarron, uh, potentially a day two as the blue sky, et cetera, the second day pick. This That's in January and February. He went 15th overall. Folks, J.J. McCarthy, he plays the right position to have somebody announce, yeah, we traded up to 32 so that we could have the fifth-year option. Like, And there are NFL fans right now who think they know a lot about what kind of Sunday player J.J. McCarthy is going to be. A lot of them don't like it. I'm telling you, this kid and Bo Nix are the two who we're going to see drafted way higher than most of us think right now. That's my opinion. Um, and he's just a player who's been a little polarizing so far. I uh, want to welcome on right now. Uh, we're going to talk about college football as well, but a little bit of word about the draft first. From the Wolverine, it's an on-three thing, Anthony Broom. Anthony, welcome back, man. How you been? I'm great. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate your time, and uh, I would like to get some commentary because you say J.J. McCarthy, and there are NFL fans of NFL teams that need a quarterback that like, they react like you suggested closing the Vatican. Um, <laughs> tell me about J.J. McCarthy and where you think like his, his current draft prospects are, but tell me what you, you're hearing, like the idea of what kind of quarterback he's going to be on Sunday. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because I think when you look at when you watch him play simply from a skill set perspective, now, again, the thing that's going to be used as a knock against him throughout this entire process is going to be, oh, well, he didn't throw the ball a lot. And, oh, he just turned around and handed off the ball for Michigan and didn't have to do a whole lot, didn't have to win them games. And I think a lot of that, to me, um, is, is a little bit overblown. I think certainly, uh, you know, limited opportunities to throw the ball for sure. But, I mean, he's he was as as efficient. Um, as, as most quarterbacks in college football, at least some of the top guys, I think he's got, I know he's 6'3", he's not a short guy, he's mobile, he's got the arm talent, and, and I think that he checks off a lot of those boxes, and I think you know he'll continue to, you know, with these events coming up, he's going to interview very well, and, and when you spend a first-round pick, and I do think he will be a first-round pick, but when you look to do that with a guy, it really is more about the skill set, too. It's you know, can you be a franchise guy? Can you put a franchise, an operation, a team on your shoulders? And, um, you know, he was a rising tide that lifted everyone's level of play on that football team. Um, you know, Beloved would have been a team, essentially was a de facto team captain as a junior, but certainly would have been if he had come back, you know, as for his senior season. 
Um, I just uh, his, his skill set is, is extremely well rounded, and you know when you look at you know oftentimes we see these guys like like a Trey Lance or like an Anthony Richardson. They go high because of the traits and the promise, right? I think a lot of those similar type of traits are there, but you have a guy who I don't think will be as much of a project. You know, if he goes to a place like Atlanta where you've got the skilled position guys, you've got obviously a very talented running back that was drafted highly last year. I think that's a situation where you plug that type of guy in, and I think he could have some success right away. So, listen, I know the opportunities – uh, to throw the ball. It's not all there on film given the offense and the team he's coming from, but I'm telling you, I would not be surprised if this guy goes fairly high and winds up being a top 10, top 12 quarterback in this league. Cause I think he has a lot of the same traits that make those guys successful. All right. Let's talk about uh, head coach Ron Moore and his now, I think now completed coaching staff. Um, I want to ask about two guys in particular and they are both, Former coordinator, like he hired two sitting coordinators, but from G5. Um, I don't necessarily care about that. I think there are plenty of coaches in G5. And if you're a coordinator somewhere, like to me, that's almost like having a head coach in the room. Um, talk about what the idea is for Casla at tight end. Did I pronounce that right? Is it Steve Casla? Uh, I believe it's Casula. Yeah. Okay, at tight end. Um, because he was coordinator at UMass, and then Lamar Morgan, who's coaching defensive backs. And by the way, all I've heard about is everybody leaving for the NFL, et cetera, et cetera. He's got almost a full room coming back, so bully for him. But um, talk about hiring G5 coordinators. I like it a lot um, because, you know, a, a lot of times when we do these, you know, these coaching searches or these assistant coaching searches, you know, the, the layperson or, or the fan, I, I'm not, you know, not even saying that as an insult, they want to see the big names. They want to win the social media, the, post, the, the press conference. But, you know, I'm interested in, in watching a team bring in good coaches. And once upon a time, Mike McDonald was just a little-known guy from the Baltimore Ravens. Michigan brings him in. Now he's an NFL head coach, you know, three years later. So you got to focus on getting good co- uh, good coaches first. And, you know, everything we've heard about Steve Castula, he actually got his feet wet at Michigan as an analyst a couple of years ago, a guy that has a lot of uh, a lot of coaching experience now, has that experience as a coordinator coming over from UMass. And Lamar Morgan, too, um, you know, similar in that, you know, a guy that came highly recommended from their outgoing defensive coordinator, Jesse Minter. So, to me, I think w- when you look at – now, Sharon Moore is not Jim Harbaugh. No one is going to sit here and argue that. It's not going to be a one-to-one transition. But when you look at – how Michigan flipped its fortunes a couple of years ago, it was because Jim Harbaugh didn't focus on winning names or winning, you know, the, the, the PR battle. He went out and got young, hungry guys, you know, that you know, squeezed every single possible drop they could get out of the, that team. So uh, to me, I like the approach. I like the hires that have been made. Um, and they, and really, you know, they have some questions, obviously we, we just talked about JJ McCarthy. That's a big name that you have to replace, but assuming, and now, now that when you have a coaching change, your entire roster is, is almost kind of open season in the here and now. And if they're able to retain uh, most of those key guys, which we'll see what happens when the spring portal window comes around. I think that's a, that's a battle in its own right. But I think you can talk yourself into this still being a pretty darn good football team uh, in the here and now. And I, you know, with the coaches that they brought in, it's going to be different. But uh, you know, maybe it needs to be too uh, when you have that type of change. So uh, instead of copying what you've done in the past, 
um, you know, kind of leaning on a bit of a different direction, which they will certainly have um, on both sides of the ball, but namely on defense with Link Martindale coming in. And Jerome Moore, I don't think he's going to be climbing trees or going on slumber parties as well. But Harbaugh had cut most of that stuff out as well. So you're right. Totally different guy, different approach. Uh, we're wrapping up Anthony Broom, Wolverine. Uh, it's an on three uh, pursuit. Uh, Wayne Martindale, I, I want to ask you the same thing that I saw on Twitter, the same thing I've had in personal conversations. He brought in a pro guy, brought in an NFL guy. That could hurt him. Identify the reasons that people talk about when they say, oh, wait a minute, it could be a problem. We brought in a guy who hadn't been in college in 20 years. Um, what are those problems that Gen Pop is referring to? And is that perception or reality uh, with from your standpoint? Yeah, I mean, I guess any potential pitfalls would be that it's uh, a guy who has all that NFL experience coming in, working for a first-time head coach, and then, maybe sort of throwing his weight around in the room saying, you know, thinking he knows better and, and whatnot. But, you know, a lot of people will tell you that, uh, you know, Wink is, is, is a player's guy. I think that um, when you look at the bone, you know, the, the meat and potatoes of what Michigan has done defensively the last few years, um, Wink Martindale is kind of one of the, um, I won't say pioneers, but, you know, the system that they've run was very much Wink Martindale inspired. Now, mind you, there's a lot more, you know, simulated pressures, a lot more zone coverage and things like that, um, whereas Wink is more of a man guy. But it, 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 it'll be interesting because I think with Sharon Moore, I, you know, being a first-time head coach and having that experience on the offensive side of the ball, I don't necessarily hate the idea of bringing in someone as experienced as Wink Martindale yeah, yeah. And, and, and making him essentially the head coach of your defense. Now, there's got to be synergy there. You can't butt heads. That's essentially what led to him and Brian Dable falling out. But um, I think for, for what they need, and we'll call it what it is, too, it's most likely a stopgap. I mean, they needed to You talk about bringing in a name or just having some stability. They did need to just get someone in there as you can, so you can start shaping things. Um, but I would think the second that Wink Martindale gets a sniff back at the NFL, that might be an opportunity that he takes. So it, it's really more about stability now. Uh, we talked about having a you know a, a coaching staff full of young and unproven guys. Um, you know maybe maybe Wink Martindale's successor has been hired, and you know like a Lamar Morgan or like someone else. So uh, to me, it's all about creating that upward trajectory, and I think that that's what made Jim Harbaugh successful the last few years. And I think that we've seen that same flavor with the guys that Sharon Moore has brought in. How much less of a concern is that? he doesn't have high school recruiting connections. How much less of a concern is that now? Cause I saw like Cadillac Williams, he just took a job with the Raiders. I was like, good for him. He's in the NFL now. Like his whole ball of wax was apparently, Oh, he can recruit. Well, no, he's a running backs coach in the league now. Um, so it seems to me, I've talked about a lot of examples of guys skill set. The reason they were valued, it's a lot <laughs> less now. And I guess it's leading to a lot of change. Uh, tell me just your impression of, recruiting and not having that, you know, two decade roots in the area, all that. How, how much is that now? It plays, a, it certainly, it, it's a bit of a concern. It plays a part. Um, you know, I'll say this with Michigan. They didn't really ask Mike McDonald or Jesse Minter to do a ton of recruiting either. Um, but I, you know, and our, our recruiting guys that on three wouldn't like me saying this, but I've always thought that recruiting experience or chops is a little bit overrated because uh, really all it boils down to to me is, you know, are you, can you identify talent? Are you 
someone easy to communicate with? Do you have a, you know a rapport with players and a rapport with families? And you know if you're you're an outgoing, personable guy that knows how to identify talent, uh, I, I don't care if you haven't been you know in the game for for a couple months, twenty years, whatever it is. So there are, I think, again, most you know those position group guys on staff are going to be. You know, where the brunt of the recruiting experience comes from, Sharon Moore uh, will also have a role to play in that as well. Um, Wink will have a play a role to play in that as well, too. But, you know, when, when you talk about a guy like that, you know, I think some of, one of the bigger recruiting pitches you have is, I did just spend 20 years in the NFL, and I did coordinate some really good defenses and develop players. So, um Again, it's it's going to be something to keep an eye on for sure. I mean, you can't just stay in the office and play Tetris all day. Like you got to get out and do something on the recruiting trail. But uh, again, I, we're not really going to know what that looks like until we see it. But it will be interesting because things are much obviously things are much more different twenty months ago than they were even twenty years ago. So oh, yeah, yeah. we'll see. Yeah, there. You know, I was talking when Todd Munkin went to the Ravens, and I was like, "Oh, they didn't want to recruit." And somebody in Athens is like, eh. "Todd really wasn't in the rental car beating the bushes in South Georgia. Like Todd was allowed yeah. to sit there with his play sheet, and then for on-campus events, everybody has to play, right? But yeah. as far as like I'm going off to the hinterland to go recruit a three-star, I mean, that's kind of some guys, and especially a coordinator, you can have that status, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, and again, we just. We kind of saw that with the guys that, uh, like Mike McDonald and Jesse Minner, and um, yeah, on campus, yeah. you know, you're going to have to have a pitch, and you're going to be someone that that these kids and these families are going to want to get to know. But um, again, I just I think it's as long as you you do those main duties of the job, which is installing a defense that develops players that cultivates talent. I do think that that's something that will sort of take care of itself, especially at a school like Michigan. All right, brother. I appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Anthony Brome, the Wolverine on three. Who is it? Oh, I know this. Hang on. Ari Wasserman. Heath, is Ari Wasserman Stars Matter? Uh, that's his slogan, yeah. He writes okay. for The Athletic and does podcasts for those not familiar. That's right. I was going to fill in all of that. I wanted to make sure I was identifying. I was going to identify some of that. I was going to ask Keith more questions. Um, but, yes, Ari uh, Wasserman writes for The Athletic, and that his phrase, stars matter, stars matter, stars matter, stars matter, stars matter. And especially now, it takes a lot more work and money and effort and a bigger staff off-field, et cetera, all that. But to continuously flood the pipeline with even more four-stars and five-stars – if you're going to play the high school game, and not everybody has to, like Kansas State back in the day, Kansas State, Coach Snyder could kind of do his JUCO thing, and he didn't really care about the slings and arrows verbally. He's like, no, I'm I'm winning games. We're going to Fiesta Bowls. I got Michael Bishop. We're number two in America. Um, that was hit that, that it was a transfer it was from a junior college where people I, I don't know this doesn't we never hear talk about this you know you graduate from junior college so you have to go somewhere else after two years of credits um so it was just transfer portal just from a two-year school instead of a four-year schools 
So it was just a particular brand of crap that we gave Bill Schneider. Now everybody's getting transfers, and there are schools that look at it and go, "Well, we'll be the Bill Schneider, we'll be the Kansas State of the go." If you're too young, if you're like thirty, David, go look up Coach Schneider and see what he did. It was nuclear winner at Kansas State for I mean, like a couple of decades. And he brought it back to, it was at the top of the mountain almost. So, And he did it with transfers, a lot of it, a lot of examples, a lot of success stories. Well, now everybody's doing it that way. And to continuously emphasize high schools and be successful at restocking and restocking, yeah, stars matter. It's just way more difficult to keep them now. So, um, yeah, if we ever have a reason, get Ari on. Good guy. I always like talking to him. All right, uh, we're going to take a quick break. Come back. Continue next. Now back to Southern Sports Today and the Chuck Oliver Show. Messy SEC player hit... A nearly impossible goal over the weekend. Very skillful in one pursuit. It was still only a tie. Because I will say, as policy, when an 18-year-old college freshman decides to tweet his way through a felony murder charge, real time, I will say, as policy, it's a very poor approach to defending yourself against the charges. Heath, amen? Seems reasonable. So, when I saw that Trey Holly, LSU's very talented 18-year-old college freshman, decided to real-time social media his way through this felony murder charge. I saw the headline. I was like, Lord... I was like, he's just a kid. Let him let him know. Let him know something. Um, what he seems to have done is not made it worse. And that's the only real not negative outcome that you can hope for when you go to social media and you're facing, like, you're not going to get off from the felony murder charge. This isn't like a Netflix special. What was it? To the making of a murder where suddenly, I don't like President Trump got involved. I watched a Netflix special. I may pardon. Uh, that's not what this is. This kid went on Twitter and decided to give his side of the story. I was like, Lord. Um, it's an approach which almost always is the exact opposite of what anyone should do, much less a teenager. Quote, as you guys know, I was recently arrested on three felony charges. I've been falsely identified, accused, and arrested. I'm 100% innocent. The people who know me know this is not my character at all. I was not involved in the incident at all. I was at home, which is where the incident took place. I turned myself in because I was notified of an arrest warrant and wanted to fully cooperate. Due to this being an ongoing investigation, I cannot give many details. To the real ones, thank you guys for standing beside me through this tough time. At this, and my story will be told one day, and it will be legendary. Did Trey Holly write every word of that? I'm, maybe. Did he have an attorney at least look it over? Uh, absolutely. I'm 56. Are y'all aware? I've made my living before full-time as a writer. I've written three books. 
probably thousands of newspaper and magazine articles published. I, if I was going to write something and put it on Twitter facing felony murder charges, I would say, hey, my attorney, would you look at this? I assume Trey Holly had someone at least give it a flyover. I think he kind of wrote that. I think he did. And I also kind of believe it. Then I kind of texted some people in Baton Rouge, too, and both of them gave me a very close version of, I can't confirm that everything he's saying here is accurate, but that's my understanding. But I cannot confirm it, cannot confirm it, cannot confirm it. It's about his arm's length. I mean, my gosh, somebody died. So it's about his arm's length as possible. Now, if you don't know, Holly faces charges of attempted second-degree murder, and then there's two other felonies. Criminal damage to property, not his concern right now. Illegal use of a weapon, again, it's a little further down the list. Still felonies and involved guns, so they're not good. I'm sorry, no, attempted second-degree murder. That's so. Attempted, tempted second-degree murder. Um, He's being held on a $510,000 bond. When Calvin Ridley chose this approach, if you don't remember, NFL receiver who was suspended for gambling, he chose this approach like real time as his NFL suspension was being announced. Oh, my, such a bad approach. Uh, This time, I think Holly kind of hit an unlikely and very tiny bullseye for whatever the value may be. And also, again, I live in the adult world. I saw Raphael Palmero point his finger at congressman and say, I never, ever. And then he's like, all right, I did. Uh, Marion Jones, I never. She was behind bars, like wrong side bars. So I understand that. And Trey Holly, don't know anything about him other than I watched him play ball and then this. So um, not the approach. I would tell anyone, hey, I've got a felony murder charge. I'm going to tweet about it. No, why don't you not do that? He did, and I think he got at least a tie. This morning in the Atlanta airport, no one's missing a meal on Mac Wilburn's watch. With 11 restaurants to serve passengers, he's got dining for every destination. And it all started when Mac talked with First Horizon Bank about opening a franchise in the airport. Now it's open for business and cleared for takeoff. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Mac. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. So, Robert, I want to thank you for your time. I just don't think you're the right person for this position. I don't understand. Was it something I said? Well, we did a background check on you and found some things of concern. If you're in charge of hiring for your company, you know how helpful a background screening can be. That's why companies that use Horizon Background Screening make smarter hiring decisions. Don't let the wrong hire put your company at risk. Get the real story on your candidates at horizonscreening.com. Horizonscreening.com. Always college football time in the South. Now back to more of the king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. Everything that man just said is true. Nine states and 66. I, I thank y'all for the blessing so much. 
I dare say that the mustard seed for what Florida football became, like the overall the bird's eye view of the program, I mean like great elite top of the heap stuff in the SEC, no less. Like Steve Spurrier, my gosh, um, you can't give enough credit. But I, I think the mustard seed, there was a guy named Charlie Pell. I say that if you're like younger than 40, there's a chance you never heard of him. Um, he's a good man. He'd break an NCAA rule just as soon as he'd breathe in air, but um, he's a good man. And I dare say what Clemson and Florida became. It's credit to Charlie Pell. And he had to get out of town ahead of the posse in the mid-80s, and so that was kind of it for him. But um, the reason I bring it up is there was a reason Florida brought him in because the program had reached an era where they didn't win a bowl. They did not win a single bowl game in the 70s. And they're like, well, we got to get better. And so they started getting better. And I think it was because of him. And then Spurrier rocked the moon. Well, they're at their lowest point right now, in my estimation, since there was a need to go hire Charlie Pell. That's that's my opinion. There's a guy who knows way more than I do about this, though. Want to bring on right now from WRUF Radio. He's the OG. It's Pat Dooley. Pat, hey, thank you for your time. Uh, welcome to the show. How you doing today? Doing good. How about you? Oh, uh, well, I'm nothing but blessed. Um, I may be taking that to, you know, like maybe I went satellite image on that, not even bird's eye. Um, just tell me where they are right now, at, like the program in Gainesville versus the SEC versus nationally, because um, they're getting further away from the top of the heap, not closer even. Well, I, I do think, I will say this, I think he's got his best roster he's had at Florida. Um, now, whether that's going to translate into wins or not, it's going to depend on, you know, how some guys progress and everything. But, um, no, it's it's been a weird time at, at UF. And you, you, you mentioned, the, look, you can't get away from the stats. And the stats are that Florida's never had three teams lose seven games in, in three, three years ever in the history of the program. Now, a lot of teams barely played seven games, you know, <laughs> uh, a lot of them played four and five back in the, but that's not the point. The point is they are at a, uh, a weird place um, and they've got to get it going back in the right direction. And it's not enough just to say, Hey, we're, we're making progress. You've got to show it on the field and you've got to win some games and they could have easily won eight games last year. They just got to find a way to win more of those close games. I look at the schedule coming up, and everybody's – I've already said media days. I give him till like, his second interview, and Napier's going to be done talking about the schedule. Um, I think without one unusual outcome any particular Saturday, good or bad, they could, they could easily finish five and seven. Um, other than wins, how can Napier show that the program is progressing? And is there any other measuring stick that will matter enough? I don't think there is any other measuring stick because you are what your record is. I mean, that goes back to Bill Parcells, yeah. and that's what Will Muschamp told me, you know. Um, and he and he knew that when he got fired. He was what his record was. And so there is going to have to be progress in that direction. Now, I, I'm not going to put a number on it, how many wins they need, but um, the, the bottom line is you have seven home games this year, Um it's a very, very difficult schedule. We all know that. Uh, you know, they had a they had a really difficult schedule in 2020 too. All SEC teams, and they were still able to to win um, eight games with that season. Does he have one spot open right now in the coaching staff?
No. All right. We got, we got I thought that was an abrupt end. I was like, all right, we'll move on to the next, <laughs> the, the, the next question. Um, and that is about the coaching staff because we've been talking about even today, Brian McClendon over the weekend decided he wanted to leave the Georgia staff and go coach in the NFL um some of that stuff gets kind of sprung upon you um with florida i don't think that's the case i think this is one of those things that it's been an open spot for just a minute so um in the past i know that he has gone with two offensive line coaches and i don't know if that's going to be the approach uh going forward uh i also don't know about name image likeness and those efforts um, if they're able to get any sort of um, traction going compared to the top programs in the SEC, um, which honestly, they're almost to the point. And I've got a, I, three things I want to ask about Florida State and that rivalry. But Florida is at the point right now where there is so much that is right in front of them uh, that they're talking about their own issues, not even you know what's happening out I-10. Pat, welcome back, brother. You're saying uh, they still won eight games that year. Yeah, so I mean, I'm just making a point that they have seven home games this year, and uh, and only four road games. I mean, there's obviously one neutral site game, um, so I think people have to look at it and say, I, I think the bottom line is, um, Chuck, is that they've got to go four and one in those first five games, at minimum. That's got to be the worst they do. Anything worse than that is probably not going to lend into a, a good season. That could be the end for Billy Napier. I mean. If they go five and seven, like you said, uh, and I can see five and seven, I can see seven to five. I can see uh, this team somehow getting eight or nine wins, um, but they're going to have to win some of the games that are that are tough. I mean, it's it's not supposed to be easy. This is the SEC. Other than Missouri, who's got an easy schedule in this league this year? Nobody. No, it's landmines everywhere. Wrapping up, Pat Dooley. He knows what it's about when it comes to Florida football. WRUF Radio. You can get him there, and he's uh, digitally in traditional print. He is. Um, he's got uh, skins on the wall, man. Um, all right. So they lost a coach last week. It, does he have one spot open on the staff right now? Is that right? Yeah. Um, yeah. He's uh, look. I don't know what he's going to do with it either. I don't. I think he's going to stay the way you know, kind of keep the ship going the way he wants it to go. And now a lot of people don't agree with it. And a lot of people talk about him being the play caller still. And uh, the offense wasn't a problem last year though. And he did do, he, he listened to the fans. He the things that were a problem last year. He replaced all the coaches. So those things all, you know, wasn't like uh, we were all watching something and he didn't get it. He got it. But now he's already lost two of those people, you know, his strength coach and his uh, one of his offensive yep. line coaches. And uh, it's certainly uh, just weird circumstances in both cases. You know, the NFL in, in one case uh, offered a job and to a guy who had been getting all kinds of criticism from the fans. And then in the other case, uh, you know, his best friend offered him a job and he took it. Yeah, it takes some unusual context to leave UF for Boston yeah. College, I will say. Um, all right, wrapping up, Pat. Do the last thing, I, and I want this is just personal, almost anecdotal for me. Did you know Charlie Pell at all? Because I did not, and I gave some opinions about him. I thought he was a tremendous coach, and I, I give him credit for both what Clemson and Florida turned into. Do you have any Charlie Pell experience? Charlie Pell and I became very good friends. Uh, we were friends when he coached here, but we became really good friends after he left after they fired him. And, um, 
He, uh, I remember he, I'm one of the first person people he ever told that he had cancer and that's what eventually got him. Um, he became a very lovely man. Uh, he was very intimidating when he was a coach here and he was too, he coached too tight. He recruited the hell out of it. As you know, he, he would do anything to get players, as you know, <laughs> um, Go Charlie. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, and he, look, he is responsible for a lot of things that happened at Florida, including Gator clubs, booster clubs, all this stuff. The end zone uh, expansion, the weight rooms, he he came in here and got Florida going in the right direction. Now, he did it illegally in some ways, uh, but but I think he's still a beloved figure around uh, Gainesville because of all the great memories that he brought, you know, and, and bringing a team that did win the SEC, even though it was later stripped away, they still won it. Um, the, for, for the first time. So he, he's still, I think, beloved around here, but at the same time, they're not going to put him on the ring of honor and have to explain why they put a coach up there that had 114 violations. <laughs> I thought it was 107, and I'm not even trying to be funny. Well, um, it, depends on, it depends on what you – the final number was way lower than I think it was in the 40s or something, but uh, they initially charged him with the uh, over 100. I know that. All right, well, I just watched Wayne Peace play in an Astro Blue Bonnet Bowl one night, and I was like, all right, this offense looks kind of fun to me. Um, and he, I knew he had been at Clemson and done what he did up there, and they became national championship, like, with his team. So, uh, Pat, I appreciate your information and your expertise as always. Uh, thank you so much, man. Yeah, Gary Anderson killed him in that game, by the way, just, just to let you know. Oh, that big giant <laughs> running back who, like, yeah. yeah. He was, he was, he was, really he was that, good for that, first, that first wave of running backs, the Eric Dickerson, Billy Sims, et cetera, who, yeah. who were the bigger guys that could still run away from him. Yeah, good name. I hadn't thought about him in years. Thank you, brother. Appreciate the time. All right. See you, bud. Pat Dooley. RUF. You know, Gary Anderson, not the kicker, I'm going to guess this. I don't know. There are various distinctions that, um, you know, when it comes to NFL pro football, um, Doug Flutie has the distinction of the, I guess I'll say last, most recent free kick, drop kick uh, for points in a game. Uh, I think Gary Anderson, the kicker, he might have been the final single bar face mask. At least the last one I remember. Single bar fit. Now, that's the kicker, though. Gary Anderson, the running back? My goodness. Um, big physical kid coming out of Arkansas, played in the USFL when he came out of college because he wanted to get paid, uh, and you could kind of choose your team. And then he went to the NFL and had a big-time career. He was one of the first, like, real uh, two-way guys. Um, he could catch a lot, a lot of passes. And I'm going to give you a name here. And if you don't know this name, there's a guy named James Wilder who was a running back in the NFL. Go look at maybe his 84 season, maybe. And they did everything but, like, he was a plow horse for the Buccaneers. And so when they wore him out, well, they needed somebody new, so they went out and got Gary Anderson. Um, so either 84, or 85, I'm not kidding. James Wilder, he might've had 400 touches in a 16 game season. And so after the USFL went out of business, they were like, all right, well, we used him up. We'll go get Gary Anderson. 
Um, and so later on, they did that as well uh, and had him for a few seasons in Tampa. Uh, and he was with the Chargers as well. Gary Anderson, good name there coming out of Arkansas. And he had a big, big name. The Astro Blue Bonnet Bowl was in the Astrodome in Houston. And uh, Wayne Peace was the quarterback at the time, set an NCAA completion percentage record. I want to say he completed like 71% of his passes in a season. And just for context, fun fact, if this would have been the 82 season, maybe, uh, if you go back 40 years in college football, it was a lot like the NFL. We don't throw the ball much. What we want is you need to complete at least like half plus one. All right. Complete more than half your passes and have, we prefer two touchdowns per one interception. But as long as you have more touch, just more completions than incompletions, more touchdowns than interceptions. Well, Wayne Peace completed like 71% of his passes. I think it was, and just was perfect. And people were like, oh, that's possible. Charlie Pell. And then they got busted, and then they won the SEC and had to give it back. So uh, and then Charlie Pell was kind of done. But uh, just to say, good man, cheater. Good man, Charlie Pell was. And they did it. Two programs that had never really won, not consistently the way they turned into after he was there. All right, we break. We wrap up next. To the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. The hard part is you just can't build a, a roster uh, and know exactly who, what, when. And so, you know, for me, I think it's going to be really important. Uh, there's a lot of different things you have to do, but you have to prioritize when it's time to coach football. We've got to coach football, and, and I've been able to do that. I've got a staff of uh, coaches that help me do that. All right, that's Mike Lashley, and surprised that he's had some media interested in talking to him, maybe more than others. Uh, other times, well, yeah, because last week he said, "Yeah, I'm about to get out of coaching." Huh? Ah, I'm just kidding, guys. Uh, can I show Brian Mitchell, former running back for Washington in the league, B. Mitch and Finley, host a radio show there in D.C., and he was on with B. Mitch and Finley in the mornings. And he said he basically wanted to be B. Mitch Finley and the coach. He says, I hate naming his likeness. He said, I had 13 tailback. Tell me you need $100,000. <laughs> he left. He said, we don't have $100,000 for you. So Mike Loxley is, I was said Heath. I was like, hey, get Mike Loxley on. Um, well, other people got Mike Loxley on. And uh, I didn't tell Heath to do that. But a lot of folks. Mike, we played the clip. We taught Mike Loxley. So he's talking more. And uh, he's always a fun enough uh, college football guest to have as well. But um, when you are the head coach and you say something of that degree, then, well, like I said, it'll get um, – and we'll get a whole lot of, uh, of attention. So I'd started the show going way back, and I'd mentioned a couple of different uh, coaches today that have, to some extent, um, at least right now in their careers, their advancement, gone to the league. Coach Caddy, Cadillac Williams, Carnell Williams. I told you that a lot of coaches and off-field staff have seen the value of their particular skill sets diminish, diminish, not go away, diminish. In the age where recruiting relationships mattered, the better you are. Like that was that Niedermeyer that was breaking all the rules at Tennessee. I assume he was a great recruiter. Like in, within the rules, he was probably a great recruiter. 
his head coach broke all kinds of rules. Jeremy Pruitt was a great recruiter. There's a lot less call for Niedermeyer and, and, and Jeremy Pruitt in college football right now. In fact, how many times did you say, this guy's total sketch, but, you know, only a recruiter? I don't know. I'm going to bring Heath in. I'm going to put him in. Heath, do you, have any, do you ever have any contact? Do you know anything really about Trooper Taylor? No, not just the reputation and, and what we all see on the sidelines with the towel and everything. But, no, nah, I've never really covered yeah, a program the, he worked at to have an interaction, really. Yeah, and, uh, and anything I've had has been on the periphery, and, and it is the hat backwards and the towel, and he'll tell you the story about that and his father and all of this. So, But it is, what do you know about Trooper Taylor? Oh, I know that he's that guy out there waving the towel, and he gets all kinds of, you know, I don't know if Trooper Taylor. And we always look at him, oh, total sketch, because he gets so many signatures. Well, there there are times you would see a guy, and I'll use Trooper Taylor, and I'm saying I don't know. But when I would see him get hired, very easy to hear commentary. Of, well, they hired Trooper Taylor. I guess they don't care. You know, put that aside because he can he can recruit. Trooper Taylor's still working. And if it was always the concession you would make because relationship builder was so huge, I think you kind of look at some of these coaches through a different lens now. I hope we would. Because if you were ever a guy who was on the staff just because you're a recruiter, well, you're, that part of it is less, okay, what else you got? Well, for some guys, they're saying, I want the NFL on my resume as well. For some guys are saying, I just don't want to name him as likeness. I'm done with all of it. Brian McClendon's with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Carnell Williams he is with the Las Vegas Raiders. So that's a couple of guys who will be getting different checks, and uh, Carnell was looking for a job specifically brian had a job now he has a new job but their 15th and 30th will look a little different now um they're in the league and they will have a much different off-field life uh hey how's that monday man well looking at a couple of things here chuck one uh, we got some breaking news looks like DeBoer's got his final couple of hires at alabama uh being reported chris kapilovich the offensive line coach coming in from baylor and i really like this hire uh, Brian Ellis being hired as the new tight ends coach. He's been the offensive coordinator at Georgia Southern. He's done a nice job over there. You're not going to have him coordinating your offense, but having a guy with an offensive coordinator background on your offense, I think is always a good thing. So uh, that hire in particular, obviously yep. also a guy with some Southern recruiting ties. So like those hires for them. Also, Arizona's losing their AD, Dion, uh, Diaz, uh, sorry, Desiree Reed-Francois, is a jump into Arizona for a five-year deal, according to ESPN. Uh, she's been really, really good at jumping jobs. I don't know if she does a great job when she gets there, but she's really, really good at knowing how to get hired for jobs. And in the case of Drinkwitz, I don't think it affects him too much. Their basketball coach who's having an absolutely brutal oh, year in year oh. two. This is not good news for him. No, in Missouri, they value college basketball at that place. They absolutely do. Uh, can I update something? Uh, 1984, I shorted this guy. James, I said, I bet James Wilder had 400 touches. James Wilder for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, he had 407 carries. He caught 85 passes. He had 492 touches, and against Green Bay in December, he threw a touchdown pass. No, he was amazing. As somebody who grew up a Bucs fan, he was an amazing player. And people don't remember this because it was Tampa Bay, and who cares? But 1984, he had a chance to get the record for combined yardage for the NFL, and the Bucs actually did a a laydown against the Jets in their final game to let them score to get the ball back to try and help Wilder get the record, which I didn't hope work he got out. It. 
Oh, it didn't, didn't work out? He didn't get it. The Jets took great offense to the fact that the uh, Bucks laid down on him in a game where, again, the Bucks were 6-10 and 10 and the Jets were, were losing the game. But um, regardless, they... They did the uh, the old Florida flop play. Uh, they did that in the uh, Jets game there, and the un- Jets did not appreciate it to try and get him that record. Heck unreal of a player, season. Unreal workload, and that guy produced, man. Wow. Now, now, if you ever want to talk about a guy who got beaten down by the NFL, that they used him as a plow horse. Last thing, Chuck, I don't know if you saw the numbers on Sark's contract. More than $10 million a year, $74.2 million over the final seven years of the deal. Look, I know that Texas is supposed to be really good this year, and obviously we know they made the playoff last year. Would you want to have a bet of seven years on Sark at $10 million plus? Like, if you get the very best version of him, it might be worth it. But we all know the history. The history says consistency is not there. Would you want $10 million plus on Sark for, or on Sark for seven years? I, I, I wonder what the buyout to Texas is if he leaves for the NFL. Because at some point, like, even a coach in that position. So, so I'm wondering what that's the only thing. Now, to answer your question, no. I don't see the need necessarily for seven years. I don't see the need on any sides. A recruit doesn't care about seven years. Um, I just would wonder about that one little variable. What do they get if he leaves? All right. Wraps it up on a Monday. Back on One more. This morning in the Atlanta airport, no one's missing a meal on Mac Wilburn's watch. With 11 restaurants to serve passengers, he's got dining for every destination. And it all started when Mac talked with First Horizon Bank about opening a franchise in the airport. Now it's open for business and cleared for takeoff. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Mac. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Is there chaos in your closet? Look, Blouse, you've got some nerve hanging there like that. I can't help it. I'm jammed in here next to this suit. Hey, I'm a three-piece, all right, which means I need a little more room. You've got a lot of attitude for a linen suit. I'm a polyester blend, sweetheart, and there needs to be room for men's clothes, too. Hi, I'm Christina, and in Artisan Custom Closets, we help families organize and simplify their closets with customized storage solutions. See what's possible for your home at artisancustomcloset.com and then call us for a free in-home consultation. 